Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And he got smoked on the very first pitch. Chad Fairchild right out in front of the plate. Acuna tosses the helmet down. And now in a crouch on the third baseline. The very first pitch of the game nails Ronald Acuna Jr. And now the Braves are coming out of their dugout looking at Urania. And now both benches are going to empty. Brad Snickers leading the charge. I don't blame Smith for being mad right here. And I'll tell you what, if the umpire, Chad Fairchild, he should be tossed right here, Joe. Absolutely he should. I know that wasn't the Marlins. Uh, that was just Jose Arena. Um, I don't understand it. Uh, it makes no sense just because a player is having fun playing a game, swinging the bat incredibly well, obviously. Um, that just makes no sense. I was completely classless on Jose Arena's part. So last night... If you have not seen the story yet, and it's been a national talker all morning long, so many of you probably have, but nonetheless, if you haven't seen the story yet, last night, the Atlanta Braves are playing the Miami Marlins. Ronald Acuna Jr., one of the up-and-coming stars of this game, had homered in five consecutive games. He had homered in three consecutive games leading off. And if I'm not mistaken, MLB Network uh, cut to his first at-bat, and this is the type of this is exactly the type of thing baseball should be showcasing. Young, exciting player coming up. Can he do it again? This is this is what sports needs. It's what baseball certainly needs. This is an attention getter, an attention getter from a sport that needs as much attention as it could possibly get these days. And I don't want to hear from old school fans. Yes, I love baseball too, but let's be realistic. If you're 25 years old, you might have heard of this kid. There's a fighting chance, and you tuned into this game to find out can he hit another home run. And Jose Urena, the Miami Marlins pitcher, hits him intentionally. And don't tell me it wasn't intentional. I know the kid's got no control, but if go back and watch that, and if you honest to God believe that that pitch got away and hit Okuna in the elbow and it was not on purpose, then you need to examine your own head. Pitch was 97.5 miles per hour. It's the fastest pitch this kid has thrown to open a game this season, according to ESPN stats and information. This is ridiculous. This is absolutely ridiculous. This kid did. This kid did as Freddie Freeman, who's somebody you just heard the Braves All Star first baseman said. This kid did absolutely nothing wrong. He's on an incredible hot streak, and this moron pitcher decides that he is going to not brush him back. If you don't have, if you're a major league pitcher and you do not have enough control to, because if you want to pitch inside to him, I'm fine with that. But go back and watch that pitch. If you don't have enough control to brush him back and you're going to hit him, which he did on purpose, 
then you have no place in this game. And that entire thing is, the entire situation is another reason, another indictment against a sport that I love. Another silly, stupid, unnecessary bench clearing. Here come the bullpens. I'm sick of this game. I'm not going to watch it. You people are idiots. Another moment, another moment of that in what should have been a really cool situation. Rob Manfred, Commissioner of Baseball, I like you. Where are you today? It doesn't take much to wait. Listen, you've seen that highlight. You saw it all night long and all morning long. It takes nothing to wake up, roll out of bed, and suspend this idiot pitcher for 20 games, 25 games. Rest of the season, into next year. Don't care. Don't care. You need to send a message that when you are sitting on a gold mine. Ronald Okuna Jr. is a goldmine to you. He is a young up-and-comer. He is a successful, fun player. The Soto kid in Washington, the same. You're sitting on a goldmine of the kids that have a fighting chance to draw interest in this sport. And he gets hit in the elbow and has to leave the game. X-rays, fortunately, came back negative, but I wouldn't be surprised with the bruise if he's out for a while. You need to wake up, roll out of bed, and announce that this guy is suspended for 20 to 25 games, and if it's more, I don't care. And and here's what I love now. Old man baseball guy gets involved. And this, this is what we need to end. I, you know what? If it comes down to eye for an eye stuff, perhaps we can discuss that. A lot of that stuff is now stupid, but perhaps we can discuss it. But now we got old man baseball guy getting involved. Old man baseball guy. Uh, the, so here's the here's the price you have to pay, not for charging the mound, not for doing something wrong, but for being hot at the plate. Keith Hernandez, Sportsnet New York, Mets analyst, former co-1979 MVP with Willie Stargell of the Pirates when uh, Keith was with the Cardinals. Keith Hernandez asked about what happened in the Atlanta-Miami game last night on the Mets game. He wasn't there, but he weighed in. They're killing you. You've lost three games. Right. He's hit three home runs. You got to hit him. I'm sorry. I mean, people are not going to like that. It's, you know, if you you got him. You got to hit him. Knock him down. At least, I mean, seriously, knock him down if you don't hit him. And you never throw at the, anybody's head. You never throw at anybody's head or neck. If you, you hit him in the back, you hit him in the fanny. Because that's what people want to see. Because people tuned into that game to watch a pitcher hit a guy. Baseball, take a good look at yourself today and understand there's many reasons why you're failing. Pace of play is one for sure. It's too long. It, it is too long. Games go too long. Uh, your approach is flawed to how you market players. There's no question about that. You did a good job at one time, but you don't now. But these idiots, listen to this again. Keith Hernandez, old school baseball player, not talking, not talking about the Braves having hit the Marlins and then the Marlins the next day even getting retribution, which I guess we could debate, but we're talking about a guy on an incredible hot streak. We're talking about a guy who people are actually probably paying attention to, if you're a sports fan last night, to say, I wonder if he can get to six consecutive games with a home run and four consecutive leading off a game with a home run. That's all he's doing. They're killing you. You've lost three games. Right. He's hit three home runs. you got to hit him. I'm sorry. I mean, people are not going to like that. It's, you know, if you you got him, you got to hit him, knock him down. At least, I mean, seriously, knock him down if you don't hit him. And you never throw at the, anybody's head. You never throw at anybody's head or neck. You you hit him in the back. You hit him in the fanny. 
James Murphy, I'm reaching the point of being done with these people. Like they are, that is, that the approach of Jose Urena was idiotic, inexcusable, and should be suspended. But for Keith Hernandez then to take to the airwaves and tell us that this young, potentially potential star player who is on this great role, which people are like, oh, this is really cool, that that's what you do. I'm just about done with these people. It's... It's it's really sad, and I, I agree with you that hitting hitting him is is a suspendable offense. But that's not why most people are upset today. It's it's that reaction to where Hernandez said he had done nothing wrong. He he wasn't pimping home runs. He wasn't calling out anybody. He wasn't being disrespectful at all. He was just on an incredible hot streak, and that's what baseball should be about. That's that's what people who went to that game to watch the Marlins and uh, and the Braves they came to see Ronald Acuna and they came to see Freddie Freeman and they came to see Ozzy Albie's they didn't come to see Acuna get hit with a pitch ninety seven miles an hour which if he has lack of control you don't know if that's going at his head you don't know if it could have been worse but the fact that it was so obvious and and what made it so obvious was when the benches cleared Urena threw his glove down and was ready to like take people on so he knew this was coming you don't do that if it's an accident and the other thing that bothers me about it too is is the umpires didn't toss him initially they waited and there was an altercation mm-hmm. or there there was a dust up and then it subsided and then Okuna actually stayed in the game initially and as he jogged to first base, he sort of threw his, I think, shin guard towards the mound. And then the benches came out again. And I think it was around that point that the crew chief decided that they might want to eject the pitcher. How does the home plate umpire not come out and toss him immediately? And, and by the you know, by the way, too, if you want to go down the road, and I think it's moronic, but let's just do it for a second for the sake of this conversation. If you want to go down the road of got away from him, he should be ejected still. Like, if you are that incompetent, if you're that bad at, at your job, his quote, uh, the quote from Urena was, I made the bad pitch. I missed my spot inside on the corner the way I wanted to start with him. I tried to get inside to move him, which is fine. But if you have no control, then you have no business doing that. In fact, you have no business really pitching. He he missed. I mean, if that if that's true, he missed his spot by about a foot and a half on the first pitch. And, and it just it happened to be a fastball inside that drilled him in the elbow. I mean, that was that's as intentional as it gets. And, and the reaction and, and I believe it was Buster only who tweeted the reaction after that when when uh, the the Braves came out to defend uh, Acuna, that was what proved that it was intentional. Was was he was in a aggressive mode after that? He wanted that that reaction. Don Mattingly, uh, Marlins manager. If you watch Jose pitch, pretty much every first pitch of every game is is pretty much there. And we we talked to Jose right after the game, and and basically he's saying he he know the guy's been swinging the bat good, um, and he's trying to get one close. You know, he's going to run it off in there, and, and that was the purpose of his pitch. And, and that's exactly what he told us. He lied. Donnie lied. I'm, I'm not surprised that Don's going to pass on the lie because he's not going to tell us the truth either. But the pitcher lied. I mean, he, did, he definitely did. But this is, see, my problem with this entire thing, uh, James and intern Max, my issue isn't even this one isolated thing. It's how this game is trending. It's how stupid and idiotic so many things are 
And then people are like, well, I mean, you know, baseball, what's happened? I can tell you what happens. People tune in to watch the start of last night's game because this young, incredible player, you want to see, can he do it again? Can he get to four consecutive games leading off with a home run? And you get that. And then people are like, I'm out. It's baseball in some ways is is causing itself the same problems that for years and years hockey did, which is you'd like to go to the commissioner and say, let's take the blinders off and I'll show you what's wrong with your sport. And by the way, it's a lot of things. So, so, cause I see this whole thing about, well, if they just get pace of play, right? Well, that's not just pace of play. That's one thing. Yeah. But this thing last night, it's just another. And, and for Keith Hernandez, the old school, ba- you know, I'm so, and Listen, I grew up watching Bly Levin and Morris and Hernandez. Mm-hmm. I grew up watching these guys. I mean, it, they are part of the fabric of why I love this sport. But the old school train of thought now, when if you can't adapt, Smalley is going uh, to join us at 11.30 yeah. today. Roy Smalley's adapted. Now, there's still some things I'm sure he holds dear to his heart, and that's and that's fine. And, and he can articulate those things, and he can also uh, take those things and say, but here's what I know now. But these old school guys refuse to adapt, who have the same message time after time after time, who won't give it up, who say that when when this kid comes to the plate last night, Okuna, when he comes to the plate last night, he's gotta, yeah, you got to, yeah, you got you got to stop this streak. Yeah. It's just beyond stupid. How, how about stop the streak by, you know, pitching him well and, and yeah. make, getting him out well, rather than. And if you can bust him inside with a fastball and you can do it. That's pitching. Competently, that's pitching. Yeah. I, I'm not against pitching inside. What I'm against is this idiot with no control purposely. And and he didn't hit him in the leg where it would have hurt, but he would have jogged to first base. He hit him in the elbow. You can easily break it. Yeah. And so now you're going to have this guy. A guy on an upstart team that's a really fun team, who's a who is a really good young player. Mm-hmm. Now you're going to take the chance that he's going to be lost for how long? Perhaps the rest of, of the year. Now, fortunately, he's not, but he could have been. Yeah, you're easily. gonna you're gonna take that chance because you're you got hit by a guy from the Miami Marlins, <laughs> who are nothing more than a laughing stock from top to bottom. Right. Drives me crazy. Uh, Matthew Collar joins us next. We talk Vikings and specifically about a great story he's got right now online, 1500ESPN.com, about Xavier Rhodes. Mackie and Judd will return shortly. Just a reminder, this station does not endorse this. On 1500ESPN. You like that? You like that? And that can only mean one thing. The man that loves football more than anybody I know. The man who breaks down film. The man who challenges Mike Zimmer to watch Hard Knocks after he breaks down film. Matthew Collard joins us now. How are you, sir? I am doing great. That was your best intro for me ever, so thank you. Oh, well, you do. I mean, you you basically told Zim, hey, make time to watch Hard Knocks because I do, and I'm breaking down film too. That was pretty much your exact message to the head coach of the Minnesota Vikings. Yeah, I basically told him that he just needs to work a little harder. There's nothing wrong with that. Everyone needs to be challenged. Everybody. Every single person. I mean, he is the ultimate football guy when it comes to spending his entire existence watching and breaking down tape. Um, So I I don't know what he really does aside from that. I think his way to kind of get away is go to the ranch, 
go shoot some animals or something, right? Like he does the whole hunting and fishing sort of thing. I think he's got a tractor that he rides around. So I thought maybe he, you know, would take a few minutes out of every day to see how his old buddy Hugh Jacks is doing and watching Hard Knocks. Yes. But I found out that uh, that's not the case. Before we get to your outstanding piece on Xavier Rhodes and press coverage, explain this to me. What's the story with Zimmer's daughter, the little dog, and Zim like having to help take care of said dog? Because I got to admit, I never saw Zim as a guy who would be holding a small dog. I always saw him as, a, if he had a dog, more of a hunting dog type of guy. So it looked odd to me when I was out at Egan yesterday. See, I think it's very typical of Zim to be caring for a small dog because even though he puts on the, the, the football guy all the time, there's also a part of him that is not that type of person, especially when it comes to his family. And, I mean, I was just thinking about this the other day. The number of times I've seen Mike Zimmer get choked up at, at a podium and the number of times where he's been super honest about how he feels about something, whether it's, Teddy Bridgewater or the passing of Tony Sperano. I think that because he is so obsessed with football and watching the tape and everything else, we sort of paint him as the gruff guy. Yep. But I think that if you're around there every day, you know that that's only part of who he is. So when I saw him with the little dog and he had the biggest smile on his face, I wasn't really stunned. He did look thrilled. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was, was really weird to see. Yes. Dog. Yeah. Uh, so, so, and, then, yeah. and the dog was cute as hell. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. Great dog. I'm not ripping the dog for one second. I, I was just, I've just always thought that if I was to see Zim with a dog, the dog would be big and slobbering. And this was just a little cute dog. Um, so, I don't think, I don't think that Zimmer needs to, to prove the manliness to anybody. You know, I mean, he does drive a truck and listen to country music. This is so true. That, but, but it's kind of like, true. yeah, does, does anyone really question Zimmer's toughness? Probably not. So the most important question is this Can that dog be taught to play press coverage? Can Zim turn uh, that, that it, it, into a nickel dog, for instance? The arms are too short, I think. If you're going to have a dog that would play, play press coverage, not only would it need to be quick, but it would also have to have long arms. So you'd be thinking of, like, you know, kind of one of those uh, bigger dogs. Maybe, like, a, uh, a Labrador would be okay at it. They have a lot of energy, um, well, and they're quick. So they have, like, the right combination. I have a Greyhound. She'd be awesome at press coverage if you had some food in your pocket. That, that's true, but, but that dog would play outside. I'm saying a small dog inside in nickel, real fast, okay, a little yeah, bumping. Because yeah. I, I see your dog as, as an outside coverage dog, as Definitely. a cornerback. So the in, yeah, the inside, one of the things the about some of those small dogs, some of those small dogs can be really smart. Mm-hmm. And I think <laughs> that if, if you're going to play, like a Boston Terrier, I think is a clever little dog. So I think if you're going to have a dog play nickel yeah it can't just be a pure athlete but uh if you're eventually going to get around asking me about my xavier Rhodes piece, i am eventually yeah so tell okay tell me about it tell because you you sat down i I believe you told me that you had been efforting this uh this interview with Rhodes for a while and you finally got the chance yesterday to sit down and instead of asking about his you know his life and how things are going you of course got into the meat and potatoes of football yeah, we had a really epic football conversation uh, after practice yesterday and sat down and talked about why he has become so dominant as a press corner, as an island corner, 
like the Darrell Revis that the, the Vikings can leave out there uh, against any wide receiver in the NFL. And last year he shut down Antonio Brown, Julio Jones, A.J. Green, Michael Thomas in week one had a tough time against him. I mean, this is a murderer's row of, of wide receivers, and he dominated them. So I'm trying to figure out why that was. And after you talk to Xavier Rhodes, you really start to understand it. I, I think that the Xavier Rhodes most people know is the guy with the big smile on his face, who's kind of goofy and you know is always messing around with teammates and things like that. But the behind-the-scenes Xavier Rhodes that people like Terrence Newman and Jerry Gray, their defensive back coach, that guy is a tactician who's really obsessed with every detail of the game. And I asked him a couple different times, like, why do you love this stuff so much? Like, why are you so obsessed with studying and all the details? And he really didn't have a good answer, but I think the answer is just that it's, it's what he does, and he loves to be good at what he does. So he wants to put in every ounce of the effort. But, you know, you'll, you won't see any player get as jacked up as him when he was breaking down going against Kelvin Johnson. So it was, it was really interesting to listen to him talk about this stuff. And some of it, I, it is above my head even. I mean, what he's talking about with all the different details. But that just shows you how much effort goes into being good at this. It's not just, hey, he's, he's got long arms and, and quick feet. Yep. It's all the other days where they don't play is where they win. And you know, Collar, you know exactly why he loves this stuff. Football! Football, yeah! Football! That's all you had to say to him. You should have just said that. Hey, Xavier, I know why. Football. That's all you had to say. Football. Well, it's, it's probably some combination of his competitiveness, and plus I think that Terrence Newman has a way of sort of getting it into a guy's head when it comes to this stuff of like, you have to learn to love growing as a player and always morphing and learning because, you know, Xavier and I talked about, Hey, this year, since you shut down everybody, you know, teams are going to have a new plan against you. They're going to bring wide receivers in closer to the line of scrimmage to make it a little more challenging so they can have, you know, what they call a two way go. So they could go inside or outside on you. And he's already prepared for that. Jerry Gray said that he's been working all offseason on making sure that he's even better at off coverage and not just press coverage. And that's just the type of person that Xavier Rhodes is. I mean, it takes not only the, the passion for it, but also the dedication to do it day in and day out. Because he and I were talking yesterday that, you know, maybe anybody could go to Vikings practice one day and have a good time, but go 16 days in a row and still keep writing articles about it. Like, Go, you know, anybody could go have fun playing football on Sunday, but go every single day to the facility for 9, 10, 12 hours and study football tape. Like, a lot of guys just are not willing to do that. And if they do, you know, it can be kind of half-assed or not good enough, and maybe they try to rely on their physical skills. But that is not Xavier Rhodes, and his dedication is the reason he's a $70 million player. So, Collar, at what point in the conversation with him does he actually lose you? So, like, what what did he get into where you're like, whoa, this is even outside my grade? Okay, well, I mean, the terminology could be, like, I don't know every different bit of terminology that each coach uses. So when he was talking about, you know, taking a false step or stepping in the bucket and and, and things like that, it's like, okay, back up. You're going to have to explain to me exactly what that means. And But the thing about Xavier that's so cool is that is how quickly he can run through all these things. It's basically like if you ask him a question – 
not only does he know the answer, but he knows it quickly and right away. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it's like, okay, back up a little bit for me and explain this detail or that detail that you just know so fluently, but you're going to have to to help me understand it. What he was saying is just the level of receivers in this league right now is – bananas the number of incredibly talented wide receivers there's probably 20 of them who are a pure number one wide receiver and can dominate the game and he was saying that there's so many of them like antonio brown or ty hilton or guys like that who if you make one false step if you are slow to react on something but also have to be patient at the same time uh if they beat you that it's just over and you're going to get embarrassed and think about the mental part of that that, I mean, knowing that every once in a while one of these great receivers is going to get you and the level of concentration it takes to play against them for 50, 60, 70 plays on a Sunday, I mean, there's a reason why there's only a handful of these guys in the entire world that can do what Xavier Rhodes can do. Observation uh, from me from uh, Jags-Vikings joint practice number one on Wednesday, and it's not rocket science, Blake Bortles is awful. How and how does Jacksonville actually go into the season with that good of team potentially and a defense that's really good? How do you go in with Blake Bortles starting? I asked you that previously, and then after watching him on Wednesday, I'm even more baffled by this decision. I wish I had an answer for you, especially when there were a lot of quarterback options. This was a this was a weird year. So they could have drafted Lamar Jackson. They could have traded for Tyrod Taylor. They could have signed Kirk Cousins. I mean, if you're some of the Jaguars coaches and players and you're looking over at Cousins and the way he's throwing the ball, I don't think that Cousins is the best quarterback in the league, but he sure as hell is better than Blake Bortles by about 50 miles. Yep. I mean, if, if you're looking over there seeing him throw the ball compared to Bortles, you're right that it's not just in the games that he looks bad. It's in practice. It was inaccurate throws and, and bad reads and interceptions. It's like, what in the heck is this? And, I mean, over the last few years, he is one of the worst quarterbacks in the league, and that's even with a hot stretch at the end of last year. And, and there was the one year where he threw all the touchdowns in the red zone when they were losing by 20 points. But aside from that, yep. he has been just a brutal NFL starting quarterback. And I don't know if they think that the light's going to come on for him, but watching him in practice, I don't think there's a light to come on. And here's a here's a blazing hot write-that-down take for you, okay. Judd. Their right. backup quarterback, Cody Kessler, not that bad. It would not stun me if at some point – through what week four or something, if Cody Kessler ends up starting. And there is Doug Marone precedent for this when E.J. Manuel started for the Buffalo Bills and then they benched him to put in Kyle Orton and went the rest of the way with Orton. It would not stun me at all if the same thing happens with Bortles. Write this down. I saw a point yesterday where uh, during a team practice drill, uh, Anthony Barr dropped a pick, and on the very next pass, Blake threw it right to Rhodes, and he dropped it. I mean, it was it was a gong show. I would rather right now call the Jets up and say, what do you want for Teddy? I'll give it to you. Because Teddy's a smart dude. He can come here, and yeah, the knee might not hold up, but if it does, at least we have a competent starting quarterback. I mean, I was down on Blake before yesterday, but after watching him in a controlled environment, I, I think it's I think it's irresponsibility the highest degree to open the season with him. I mean, how about even Case Keenum for them? I mean, no, you're you know, right. I'm with you. Like, like Ted, yes. Teddy would make some sense, but, you know, there's still questions about the knee. But, I mean, 
Like they, Case Keenum, whatever the highest price was, was where he was going to go. Yep. And so if they gave him fifty dollars more than the Broncos, he would have gone there and been on a team. And you look at the rest of that roster, and you go, man, they have a star running back. They've got some underrated wide receivers. They've got the the best secondary, or at least the the best in the AFC. They've got this unbelievable defensive line that's five or six guys deep. It's like, holy cow, this team is super stacked, and yet the guy running the operation. I mean, we, we had questions about Case Keenum last year. I think he's much better than Blake Bortles. I'm not even, not I don't close. Think it's even close. It's not close. Yeah, I don't even think it's close. Your uh, personal observations Viking-wise, Vikings-wise, I should say, from uh, day one of the joint practice. What do you well, think? Well, I was really looking at Brian O'Neill uh, for this because, you know, he's been going up against the same defensive lineman over and over again here with the Vikings, and it's like, okay, we've seen him enough times here. He's made a lot of progress, but how's he going to look against some of these Jaguars players because Rashad Hill uh, tweaked an ankle and was out of practice. So it's like, here's your opportunity, kid, basically, I think, to make an argument for yourself as a starting tackle. And yesterday I was watching him quite a bit, and he looks like a different person from OTAs. When he walked out there in OTAs, it was like, okay, this guy's nowhere close. This is going to take a really long time. And now I don't think that he's 100% ready to go, but he might just have to be. He might just have to play himself into it. But the progress me. that he's made, yep. this, is why you dra- this is why you draft guys who are great athletes because – the, the ceiling is so high, and if the guy gets it when it comes to the technique and he's a smart kid and all that stuff, and he's willing to work and focus, I mean, there's always that possibility that he can make a quick rise, and I think that that's what we've seen from Brian O'Neill. Mm-hmm. And I, you know what, what I re- really think that this team has is uh, a bunch of offensive linemen that are just great people for him to be around. So if you are him and you're going to work with Riley Reef every day, I think that that helps, and that's – where he's made the biggest progress is just every single day getting a little better. He was great against Denver, and I wonder now if we will see him start against the Jaguars on Saturday at U.S. Bank Stadium. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Enjoy day two of that joint practice. No fights. Kumbaya. Kumbaya. Everyone gets along. Talk to you later. Matthew Collar, 1500ESPN.com. Uh, check out his work. He's got a story posted right now, Xavier Rhodes, a great behind-the-scenes sort of intricate football geek piece about press coverage and Rhodes' approach to the game of football, and uh, it explains basically why he is so good. James Murphy, what's coming up in stuff? Uh, I think I'm going to get you to vent a little more about baseball. That first segment was pretty fun. I hate baseball right now. <laughs> Don't go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. Just hold your ass right there. On 1500 ESPN. Slash higher. Phil Mackie, Judd Zolgad. Really, seriously, you guys are great together. Mackie and Judd. I just tune in and listen, and it's so satisfying. On 1500 ESPN. Stop! Woo! Stop! You like that? You like that? What Twin City sports fans are chanting for right now. Mackie and Judd continue with stuff you should know about. It will be Mackie and Judd at 11. Phil's going to join the show then. Right now, it is Zolgad, James Murphy, intern Max. And uh, James, why don't you give us the stuff that we should know about? All right. So leading off, Chicago Cubs veteran Ben Zobrist. He echoed the sentiments of many baseball fans before he was ejected from Tuesday afternoon's game by Phil Cuzzy. 
I was told basically like, be quiet, you know? So, um, and I was like, and then, and then I was threatened that I was gonna get kicked out of the game and I walked away. So I just felt like before my last at bat, I just wanted to let him know calmly what I thought. So we had a discussion and uh, it didn't go that great. And uh, you know, he kicked me out of the game. I just basically said, well, that's, that's why you know, we want an electronic strike zone. <laughs> you know, and that's what obviously got me tossed. That was, by the way, the first ejection in the uh, the 37-year-old Zobrist career. I thought that's as good as it gets. It's outstanding. Ben Zobrist is right. Uh, Phil, because he should be fired. <laughs> I, it's, it, it, what What is going on Call here? Call for heads. Well, I mean, well, first of, first of all, because he, he should have been fired after the Maurer right. screw up, because that was inexcusable, and that's not coming from a homer. That's just embarrassing. I mean, he is directly, he is one of the reasons why they put replay in, and now mm-hmm. if Zobrist is correct, he will be one of the reasons they put the electronic strike zone in. Um Somebody uh, see this is this is another thing that has to ha- happen with baseball. Somebody has to sit down with the umpires and their union and say, "Gentlemen, there was a time where you were very powerful. That time is now gone. Yeah, you're no one's here to see you. I, don't do not eject players. Like unless unless the player threatens you or your family, we don't want you to ever eject a player. Right? People pay to see the player. Listen, my view of things, baseball and sports-wise, has changed massively in the past 10 years, 15 years or so, because things have changed. Things are different, but people are paying huge ticket prices to see what? The game. And why? Because of players, not umpires. Nobody is there to see Joe West. Nobody is there to see Phil Cuzzy. Nobody sure as hell is there to see C.B. Buckner, who's <laughs> awful, or Angel Hernandez, yeah. who sued the league and should have been, they should have taken the lawsuit tore it up in front of his face and said, you're also fired. So I just, listen, it's changed. I get it. Do I like everything that's changed in life and sports? Absolutely not. But you have to adapt and you have to adjust. And one of the conversations that needs to take place is you are, if you throw out a player, you better have a damn good reason. And if it's because some guy didn't like your awful strike zone or said that you're the reason why we want an electronic strike zone and you toss him, Guess what? You're fired. You're you're out of a job. You're done. You have nobody paid to see you, Phil Cuzzy. <laughs> you are a joke. It's See, interesting. Don't do that to me. You're getting my blood pressure up. I'm 48. <laughs> I, I don't. I just saw the doctor yesterday. They gave me a decent bill of health, but I don't know. It's like the umpires sometimes forget it's the fans' game, and it's it's, it's not their game. Also, I, I want to let you know Keith Hernandez very unhappy about the idea of a electronic strike zone. A lot of people are, and we can, you know what, we can, that's something that we can all sit down and discuss, but it's going to get done. There are tweaks and there are things with replay that need to be done. Mm-hmm. There, there are, there are things that have been a fallout of replay, i.e. a guy's foot popping off the bag, which God ne- never intended replay for. So we can have discussions about all those things, but the old school baseball people that just summarily dismiss things have to understand there's a reason why their game is dying. So I don't know if you saw this, Judd, but NBC is retooling its Wednesday night rivalry programming. Uh, They're reacting to fans who didn't want to sit through any more mediocre Red Wings games, Blackhawk games. 
flyer games where they were just focusing on those big powers of 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 you know previous NHL years. Yes. Um so what they said is instead they're going to be again focused on small market teams, Canadian teams and West Coast teams. Are we getting Oilers games finally? I, in order to promote the superstars of the game, which is well, what they should have done in come to me. <laughs> I told you this. I told you this 4 years ago. You idiots. Are you serious? That's what they're saying now? Yeah. That's uh, they they said that on Monday. So I I was I was sitting on this for a little bit, but yeah, they they came out on Monday. I told Batman this 4 years ago. You're not showing or 3 years ago. I mean, Collar and I had this conversation. Show Connor McDavid. Oh, no, we want to show the Rangers again. And the rivalry nights BS too. That's a bunch of garbage. Yeah. Because they kept showing games um that weren't rivalries. Yeah, I and, think one of the And when East plays West, they don't play enough to be rivals. Right. Like, what's that? An original six rival? Yeah, that's what they're going with. That's they're like I said, it was it seemed like the Blackhawks were on every other week. The the Red Wings who've been trash for what, two, three years now. Well, and, they were, were, and they weren't showing McDavid. Right. Who's an absolute I mean, if you want to show the superstars, let's quit worrying about the teams, but they've always said, Well, the ratings will be down because we're showing Edmonton. You gotta show Matthews and you've gotta show mm-hmm. Connor McDavid. Right. Are you? They're really, they're really giving us that now. Yeah, that's what. That, Why they, doesn't anyone just? I, I got a cell phone. Do you want a royalty check for that? I feel like you deserve no, it. No, I don't. I don't want your money. <laughs> I want my common sense in your game. I don't. It's pro bono. I don't want your money. I don't want anything from you other than for you to shut up, sit down, and listen to what I'm telling you. We uh, we briefly touched on this yesterday and, and today as well, but uh, Jalen Ramsey had a lot to say about the quarterbacks in the league earlier. Judd, you gave a synopsis of every one, every, every quarterback that he talked about. He sucks. He uh, right. Yeah, he had the harshest res- reviews of Josh Allen, calling him trash. This is what uh, this is what Josh Allen said in response. I didn't. That's the first I've heard of it. So I don't, it, he's not on my team. He's not my teammate. Uh, you know, it don't don't bother me. I don't care. You know, it, it doesn't bother me one bit. I care about my teammates, what my teammates think of me. Uh, when I step on the field, ultimately, I'm trying to win football games and uh, trying to be the best quarterback for this team as possible. And I, I want to just read you what, what Ramsey said about Josh Allen in particular. He played at Wyoming. Every time they played a big school, like they played Iowa State, which is not a big school in my opinion because I went to Florida State, and he threw five interceptions and they lost by a couple touchdowns or something like that. He never beat a big school. You look at his games against big schools, it was always hella interceptions, hella turnovers. And then there's an editor's note in that because while at Wyoming, Josh Allen never played at Iowa State, though as a junior last year, he did lose to Iowa 24-3. to He threw two interceptions and only six all season, so never through five, never played well, Iowa Ramsey State. He has no clue about this. No, he's he never, just he was just kind of throwing stuff out there. As Chip said, I don't think he's played Kirk Cousins ever, and he called him a winner. Yeah, he, he never played I Cousins. Like I think it's funny. Never, obviously, never played Josh. Josh Allen. I mean, it's incredible that people aren't giving him a a, a fair shake before they're calling him a, a bust. And Adjur- I think Adjur- he was a reach, but yeah, you know, you can't I, you can't call him a bust without even seeing him play. And I just, I just thought that was interesting that he had like three different things wrong in his assessment. Oh, Jalen Ramsey didn't care. <laughs> Jalen Ramsey, my guess is he sat there with a glass of wine and, and the author asked him this quarterback, that QB, and he just made stuff up. He is not, he had no clue. He doesn't care. It's just funny. And it's why he's not here. He's not suspended. Right. That's a bunch of garbage. He ha- not, he, they held him back so he couldn't answer questions about this now because they wanted to go away. Well, of course. And, and it's, 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 it's funny because, 
you figured, and you mentioned it at the top of the show, what they said he did with their, their beat reporters in, in, um, in Jacksonville, that didn't make any sense because why, why would you suspend him for just being prickly? Like it, that, now we know why. All right. Um, la- excuse. Last but not least, this has to be a stuff record, but Cleveland has made the segment two days in a row. Uh, new wide receiver Jarvis Landry made the news last week by calling out his fellow receivers for being weak and not practicing hard enough. Yep. Uh, yesterday, he continued his effort to toughen up the roster by firing a football at cornerback Terrence Mitchell's face I saw after being tackled. I'm looking forward to it on Hard Knocks next week. And Yeah, that's exactly, that's what everyone's saying. They're they just waiting for the Hard Knocks episode. But this is from Deadspin. I can't take credit for this uh they they wrote this about about um jarvis landry in general hey when a guy who is forged in the winning culture of the miami Dolphins shows up and starts yelling and fighting people you got you got to open yourself up to receive his lessons and i just want to ask you quick um you you kind of mentioned it but does hugh jackson have control of this team or, or what's what's going on in cleveland right now i don't sense that hugh is a really a dynamic personality and so i think that I think the coordinators, Williams on defense and Haley on offense, actually have more dynamic personalities. Mm-hmm. But I mean, they have won, they're what, 131 in the past two years? Right. So I think control's a bit of a strong word. It is interesting, though, when a guy who shows up from the Dolphins, who have had a losing culture for a while now and certainly are not a stabilized team, when he shows up and is basically your mentor, leader, show the way type of guy, I mean, it just shows the reason why the Browns are so intriguing to watch is they're so dysfunctional. And it just Jarvis Landry's actions, which I don't have a problem with, but his actions and considering where he comes from speaks volumes to what was going on in Cleveland the past two years and what's still going on there. I mean, they've they've got guys in that camp. Football is a really tough sport because football, as Collar said, and he's right, Xavier Rhodes loves football, right? Like he likes the minutia, but he likes to practice. If But the problem with football is we got so many guys who play it that don't. And it's a terrible sport if you don't love it. Like, if you're not all in, it's an awful sport. Because a lot of guys, I shouldn't say a lot, some people have the God-given athletic ability to be really good at this sport, and so they play it because they make a lot of money doing that, but they don't love it. Mm-hmm. And you can, I think you can get by half-assing baseball. I really do. Yeah, You got some athletic ability. I can throw a baseball. I can hit. You know, I can, I, I can play baseball. Oh, I'm bored with baseball. Don't really matter. Um... Hockey might be a little more difficult because it is a physical sport, but you can probably borderline it. You like hockey. Yeah, play hockey, make some money. But football to me is the one sport where if you're not all in and you play it, it's awful. And that's when you start to loaf. I mean, I've always gone back on this show. My example is Bryant McKinney. Yeah, Bryant McKinney was a Hall of Fame athlete. Like if Bryant McKinney had applied himself at left tackle, he was still pretty good. But if Bryant McKinney loved football... He is in Canton right now. He's that good. He was that talented. He was that he had that much God-given ability. He had the feet of a ballerina with that with that size, that mass. But he didn't love football. And now I'll take that to Bernard Berrien. Not as talented at his job and at his position as McKinney was. I think he hated football, but he played it because he could catch the ball and he could make money until he finally decided I just can't stand it. Um, so I think that's where you get guys in Cleveland, and if you get enough of these guys together, it's really bad news. Right. Who don't give a damn? And they want their money, and they'll play the sport, and they know that the thing about football that makes it, there's a lot of things that make it very difficult to play. The thing about it that allows you to play it, even if you don't care about it, is you know your career is going to be so short. Like, you'll be done in four years, and you'll just make as much as you possibly can. Right. 
So the Xavier Rhodes is not the the Harrison Smith is probably not the norm. There's probably a lot more guys who are a bit ambivalent, and then there's a group of guys who actually hate the sport, but they play it. So it's an interesting discussion. Uh, but football is the one sport to me where if you're not all in, it would be hell for four. I agree. Years. It would be awful. Let's take a break, come back, wrap up uh, this hour, and then Mackie will join for two hours. Hey, of Mackie and Judd. Sit tight. The Mackie and Judd show will continue in a moment. Do I have your word on that, sir? Mackie and Judd. Absolutely. On 1500 ESPN. Phil Mackie. Hey, boys and girls, it's Papa Smurf. He's just a little guy. Judd Zolgad. Nice personality combination. Hostile and intolerant. Mackie and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Great Minnesota get-together is almost here. While you're making your state fair plans, be sure to add 1500 ESPN to your list. Swing by our booth on the corner of Dan Patch and Chambers to watch your favorite shows broadcast live from the front porch and check out the new merchandise in the pro shop. More details can be found at 1500ESPN.com. Thank you, James Murphy from the TCL Broadcast Studios, Mackie and Judd, which will be Mackie and Judd. Uh, Phil's going to duck in here at 11 o'clock for the last two hours of today's program. Uh, quickly want to get to a tweet here that I got during um, our segment talking about umpires. Stand with Ozzel is the tag. Here's a thought. Instead of saying the players shouldn't be tossed, how about they don't complain, I'll clean up the language, about balls and strikes and they won't get tossed? P.S. Good luck with getting an umpire fired. I also, let's see here. I also got an email during our during the earlier discussion about Okuna being hit last night by that idiot from the Marlins who should be suspended for 25 games. Um, that says, from Matt, subject line, when did it change? Judd, so if you enjoyed watching Blylevin, Morris, and Bob Gibson pitch, who I did not see pitch. Bob was retired before I started watching baseball and intentionally hit guys back in the day. When it occurred to you that it was a stupid philosophy, was it after all these guys retired? Or did you know all along, even if you were a kid, which I wasn't when Gibson was pitching, that this was ridiculous? No. When I was a kid, I didn't know. I didn't know a lot of things, and baseball was very... Sports were very different. I mean, complete games when I was a kid were the norm. I never thought to myself, this seems like a flawed idea. My point, though, on the Acuna thing and my point on the umpires is if you're a baseball fan, you need to, and I need to, too. So I'm with you. I'm with the people who are tweeting and emailing me. We need to adjust our thinking on this sport. We can't hold sacred to what we used to, or we are going to be dinosaurs, and it's all going to die. And don't tell me it's not going to. Don't tell me, oh, baseball will always be fine. People are still watching. Yes, they are still watching. I get that. But we are all after certain demographics, and we want to develop young fans. And if we hold dear to what we once felt to be a sacred philosophy of baseball, we're going to be dinosaurs. And we're going to, we are going to submarine and kill a sport that we love. So this is, no, I did not watch Bly Levin pitch and think, I think they should lift him in the fourth because pitcher wins are stupid and it's and I'm nine years old and here's what I would do. No, I did not do that. Umpires, nobody goes to a game to see an, an umpire. So anyway, we need to evolve, we need to change when it comes to our thinking in sports, especially baseball. Back after this, Mackie will join the show. Mackie and Judd resume things following these messages. That's just about the most fantastic scheme I've heard to date. On 1500 ESPN.